are listening to the Crossing Anchor Podcast in Detroit, Michigan. So glad to have you with us today. If this encourages you or helps, please share the word and bless others as well. Let's start with today's content. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, you guys may be seated. Thank you so much. Man, cross and anchor. Good morning. How you guys doing? All right, that was kind of cool, but I'm still kind of getting some uh, stranger danger vibes, you know, from, uh, from you guys. You guys are still guarded. So um, I just want to give you guys some context for our conversation moving forward. That way you guys can understand what I'm doing and you're not over there going, what? what's going on up there? You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, the first uh, thing, my name is Reward Sabanda. Everybody say Sabanda. Now, uh, as Pastor uh, Jay mentioned, we're, uh, my wife and I were based in Dallas, Texas. Uh, but you can tell from that last name, that is not a Texas last name. <laughs> Come on, somebody. That is because I am a Zimbabwean. I am from Gobladao in Zimbabwe. That makes me um, African-American. Uh, so it, that in itself has uh, very interesting implications because it means I exist in this liminal space in process and expression, which is between two worlds and two civilizations. So a lot of my perspective, right, and my communication will be in the middle of that. What do I mean? So the African aspect of who I am, how many of you guys know anyone African? Come on, somebody. If you know anyone African, then you understand that everything within the African context is communal. Come on, somebody, right? It's like, I mean, uh, try going to an African theater and watching a movie. It's a village event, y'all. I, I kid you not. I still remember when we watched Rocky, people were crying towards the end, and it was like, Rocky! And I was like, yes, it marked me to the core. So because of that, when I communicate from my African perspective, I'm going to create an intersubjective space and invite you into that reality. So we're going on a journey together. Everybody say together. Yeah. Now, the, the American aspect of me, though, the African-American, the black American aspect of me, then speaks to the simple fact that this conversation is going to be dialogical. Come on, somebody. That means I'm going to say something and you're going to respond back, right? I see that we have a limited amount of melanin in the room. So I, to, to those of the Caucasian persuasion, I will tell you how that works. I'm going to say something and if what I'm saying resonates deeply within you, you'll emit a sound in agreement with what I am saying. Right now, I know you guys are like, okay, what is that sound? Oh my gosh, this is a lot of pressure for Sunday morning. I'm glad you asked. Okay, I'm gonna give you guys two freebies. Right, the first one is uh, come on, somebody. All right, everybody say, come on, somebody. Right, all right, if that's too much for you, here's another one. Another one is my, 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 my. Come on, somebody say, my, 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 my. If it gets good, you know what I'm saying? And I know there's some of you Enneagram ones and threes, right, and sevens who are like, I want to get creative with this. Hey, you do you, boo-boo. You know what I'm talking about? However you roll, that's how you roll. This is your father's house. Hey, come on, somebody, preach it, African. Come on, black boy, whatever you want to say. However you want to get down, this is how you get down. It is Christmas. My gift to you is if you have a black church fantasy and you've always wanted to do the whole T.D. Jakes thing, scream when someone's preaching, I got you, right? So uh, along with that, let's try it one more time. What's up, Cross and Anchor? How are you guys doing this morning? There we go. There we go. You guys sound like you should. You have the dopest church name in the world, y'all. Come on. We call the upper room. Talk about pressure. Cross and Anchor, man. That's a tattoo. Come on, somebody. But uh, 
Yeah, uh, this right here is my um, wife. I know you guys are going to look at her and be like, he doesn't have enough game to pull that. I don't, right? <laughs> that is a lot of praying mothers and, uh, and, and, and meddling grandparents that brought us together, y'all. Her name is Pam. She's an Enneagram 7. She was an ER nurse because she's an Enneagram 7. But she just speaks so much life into uh, who I am. That is who she is 99.9% of the time. She's always laughing. And 99.9.5% of the time, she's laughing at her own jokes. Come on, somebody. You guys know people like that, right? It's like, hey, uh, what she will do is she'll tell a joke. And if you don't laugh, she will keep explaining the joke. Because she's already funny. She's just waiting for you to get there, right? But she sends her love. And we've just been praying and expectant about um, what the Lord is doing. We're excited to be here. Excited for two primary reasons. Number one... Uh, the beards in this place are glorious. They're giving my little stubble a, a complex. Come on, somebody. I'm like, man, beards and flannel. You don't get more manlier than that. But um, I, I really have, uh, there's such a, an ethos of generosity in this house. Such an ethos of excellence. I'm talking about, y'all, you guys were giving out like little cake balls and donuts. Doing worship, smiling people walking around. This is like the Apple store of churches. You know what I'm talking about? I was over there. I was recording this. I want to say it to my pastor. I was like, we deserve this. I deserve this. But there's such a spirit of, of servitude in the house, man. I got to hang out with uh, Bishop Shane. That beard is too dope to just call him pastor. So from now on, I dub thee bishop, sir. He is... Uh, <laughs> I'm telling y'all, man, he's such a Jedi. He's wired to serve, and he just leans in, and with generosity and excellence. Man, I felt waited on, y'all. My wife is in trouble when I get back. I'm going to get a little bell, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I... But Shane, thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate the way you are intentional about honor. Honor expresses itself through excellence, and so I feel that, and I pray the Lord would bless you. And bless the entire team from the worship. Man, y'all can sing. Come on. Right. But in all honesty, I, I know none of that is possible without the type of leadership that makes giftings like that and, 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 and blatant generosity thrive. From the time I pa met Pastor Josh, I just knew that him and Emily were just going to be like, I got a leader crush on that man. I was like, I want to be your friend. You know what I'm saying? There was a David and Jonathan thing going. But what I love about him is he's truly not a hireling. He's wired to father and to shepherd. And he carries the ethos and the agency of the kingdom wherever he goes. And people are drawn into the gravity of his sonship. Now, you guys, right, may be familiar with that and maybe even entitled to that. But the world is dying for good leadership. And God has uniquely placed you in a context where you are covered by that. So something we do both in Texas and uh, in uh, Zimbabwe is we stand up for the things and the people that we honor. So if you guys don't mind, and if you're also online, do it in your PJs and everything. Come on, stand up watching the World Cup, you heathen. No, I'm kidding. But if you guys don't mind, can you just stand up and with me just honor the Lord for Pastor Josh and his yes and uh, Pastor Emily and um, your, just your leadership and everything that, that I've done. Pastor Josh, thank you for having me, brother. I appreciate you. And you are the man. Now, I want you guys to stay standing for the reading of the word because this is one of the most potent things that we have. Right? In the beginning, God said, and there was. And every single time the word of God has gone forth and my heart was positioned and postured to receive it, the transformation has happened in my life. Therefore, I would love to begin our conversation 
with a reading from Luke 1, verse 67 to 75. We're going to be in the text quite a bit, so forgive me. You will not uh, be early to Denny's because uh, Pastor Shane said I could take uh, 35 minutes uh, African time. So go ahead and Uber Eats a pizza. We go, now I'm kidding. But here's what I'd love for us to do, though. I'd love for us to read this. And when we get to the last verse, which is verse 74, I want us to read it together, family style, in unison. Is that cool? Awesome. All right. Um, Luke 1, 67 to 75. This is what it says. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which had been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So in the beginning, God sets in motion this plan of redemption and then takes time and pulls it back in its track and in its axis. And we have progressively been moving towards the grand scheme of redemption. And that's what it is saying, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Take that hate ours. Come on. It says, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore by our father Abraham. This is strong terminology and rhetoric. Covenant and oath. That means there is intentionality behind these things becoming realities in our lives. It says, the oath which he swore by our father Abraham. Verse 74, you guys ready? Read it with me. One, two, three, let's go. That he would grant unto us that we... Being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. The end game of salvation is that we would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. The title of my conversation is Long Awaited. Turn to your neighbor and say Long Awaited. Like every season of uh, Stranger Things. Come on, somebody say long awaited. Uh, Father, we just come before you and we thank you. We bless your holy name. We say thank you for this opportunity to declare your word, Father. I just pray, Father, for a connection, not a conversation. That through these lips of clay, Father, the, the counsel and the wisdom and the intentionality and the love the intentionality of heaven would find perfect expression and that he would encounter hearts which are postured to receive from you and from that place formation would happen father uh holy spirit come come holy spirit come into this place come and encounter every heart come holy spirit Just take a second to just make that invitation personal. Just say, come, Holy Spirit. That's the prayer that split time into and birthed the church in power, and we're still beneficiaries of that. If he did that to an empire and a culture and to the timeline, can you imagine what he can do to the service, to your heart, to your perspective, to your family, 
to your finances, to that dead relationship. Just say it one more time. Say, come Holy Spirit. But if you don't come Holy Spirit, then nothing else matters. But we think that when you do come, nothing else matters. So we say, come. Lord, I just take everything that I think I prepared, Father, and I just lay it at your feet and I say, disrupt it and speak to your people. So we invite you, Spirit of God, Spirit of truth, blessed teacher, come. And we linger in this place for a second, Lord, just so you can see that these hearts are postured towards you, not programs, but you. We ask and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can high five the person next to you and you may be seated. Long awaited. I love that, man. I love uh, I love that. I love the Advent title. I feel like everybody exists in a state of waiting, right? Because time happens chronologically and based on your value systems, you're either in the middle of something incredible or heading towards something incredible. So how we traverse time is we take our hope and as a lasso, we, we literally just swing it and we latch it onto something worth looking for in the future. Then we use the fuel of our hope to keep us going, right? And um, that I feel like I want to be the shaping ethos in this conversation when we understand the longing that this, that occupied Israel had when they were waiting for a, a savior. Now, the first thing I want to disenfranchise you of is uh, the, the, the entitlement of coming to the word with a 21st century American mindset. See, the, I believe the reason that God gave us scripture in a context other than our own is because at a core, at a core baseline, if we approach the scripture with an ethnocentric lens, we miss out on what it truly wants to say because the language of love only finds perfect coherence and cohesion within a context of humility. Because the dynamic of love is truly that. It is mutual humility and submission to the other person. It's when I take my affections and I posture them in an attitude of serving the other person. And through the reciprocity of their humility and their servitude, we create a dynamic where people can exist. And that is essentially what you call love. And so when we approach the Advent season, I want us, whenever we approach the scripture, let me, let me put it on a macro perspective. You take your perspective and you take your cultural bias and you put it down and you say, Holy Spirit, teach me. So you approach and say, not I think this is what you're saying, but Lord, what are you saying? Because communication isn't just about your verbiage. It's not just about your words or your lexical units. Communication is more than that. Your Culture communicates. Your biases communicate, right? Your perspective communicates. You bring your whole body because communication at its core is a dynamic. 
So when we come into this uh, Advent, Advent narrative, we understand that everything that's been spoken here is being spoken to an occupied people, to an unjust and ruthless occupier. We need to understand that we're speaking to people who's a, who are not a democracy. They were not even a republic. We are speaking to a people who had theocratic roots. That means that there was no distance or distinction between their government and their devotion. Their politics was their theology and vice versa. So when they are in this posture of waiting for a Messiah, they're not waiting for a spiritual Messiah to accentuate their perfect capitalistic lives. No, they are waiting for a political Messiah to come and take the kingdom from Rome and restore it to Israel. I want to say this because when you're waiting for something that accentuates or something that's on the inside of you, then you, there, is, there is not really a desperation to your waiting. There is a hopeful longing at best, but there is nothing about it which says this. But see, the people that are waiting for this Messiah in this context are people that know that because of how oppressive this system is, that this Messiah does not come, my cousin could be unjustly crucified tomorrow. So there is this longing and there is this desperation for this specific Messiah. Because in the advent, in the expression, in the phanero, in the, 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 literally the coming out of this Messiah, they're going to find freedom and they're going to be raised to this. Because if, if there's one thing that you guys need to understand is that a lot of third world contexts take nationalism very seriously. It meant something to be God's chosen people. So this is the posture that they're waiting for this Messiah for. And they're waiting for this Messiah to come and once again make Jewism great again, right? That's essentially what they're waiting for. But then God does something incredible. And he says, no, I understand what you're saying. But I want to take this from just being a nationalist reality. And I want it to make a humankind reality. So that people who are coming after you, both Jew and Gentile, in hope, can wait for a Messiah that is going to be more than just a political agenda on a ticket. But the very uplifting and evolution of mankind. So that is the perspective. That's why it matters. That's why every, I'm saying this so you can understand the gravity of every prophetic word being uttered. I'm saying this so you can understand why Zechariah is prophesying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying the glorious zenith of this Messiah's coming will be that we would be saved from the hands of our enemies and those who hate us. What is the end? So we can be captains of industry? So we can build a civilization? No, so we could serve him without fear in righteousness and holiness for the rest of our lives. The only thing that gives the season that we're in significance is the simple fact that God had sent his son so that you would serve him in righteousness and holiness without fear all the days of your life. 
Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. I heard that and I was like, ooh, that's tweet worthy. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this was like Yoda levels of like, this is, I'm talking about like Pastor Josh, Pastor Shane, like levels of dopeness and sageness, right? Where purpose, say it with me, where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. If you do not know the purpose of a thing, you will abuse it with the best of intentions. And there's no place as blatant a truth as that is, as in the context of relationships. Because when someone does not know their purpose or your purpose by proxy, they will abuse you with the best of intentions. So in order for us to accurately traverse the world and communicate and be in communion with the people around us, we first need to understand what our purpose is and then as an extension of that, understand what their purpose is because we do not see things as they are, we see things as we are. So in order for us to even understand what this is all about, why we are a church, why there's value in community, in order for us to transcend above the altruism that says every life has a value, we need to go back to understand the purpose that we as humanity were created and then everything else will fall into its rightful place. So in order for us to understand who we are, in order for us to understand why this Messiah's coming has implications, we need to at first go back into those hallowed halls of the council of heaven when God in his infinite wisdom had this brilliant idea to make you. Now, I want you to look at me because um, if you look aside to the person next to you or the person that you know and the person that you live, that will completely deny my argument. You'll be like, nah, there's no, that was not brilliant. That, I, I don't know what they were thinking. But listen to this, right? In the book of Genesis, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, it says, and God said, let us make man in our image, and everybody say image, and according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. The core premise of my conversation today, this is less of a conversation, more of a process. I want to create an intersubjective space where you guys understand the process moving into this. So that when Pastor Josh comes and drops a word on the Christ and on his coming, you guys already have a context of what that is. So I act in a forerunner capacity to just come and disenfranchise you of specific or certain notions. And the, 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 the anchoring thought... The anchoring premise today based on Genesis 1.26 is the simple fact that God is the cause and we're the effect. And the effect will always mirror the cause. That means that which is fundamentally true about the nature and the being and the essence of God exists in us at a DNA level. For example... Right? The Bible says, for God so loved that he gave. So whenever we love, we are expressive, right? 
Whether you're saved or not, black, white, Asian, whatever you are, when we love, we give. You could be the stingiest person in the world until you fall in love. Then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you're making it rain. Why? Because when we love, we're expressive. Why is it? Because God so loved that he gave. When did he give? The book of Revelation says he gave before the foundations of the world. Then he creates us in his image and according to our likeness. And so consequentially, whenever we love, we give. The second thing is the simple fact that God is love. Right? And because God is love, humans are incapable of not loving. Now, the object of our affection is that which is the variable, but the constant is still the simple fact that humans are beings of love. I've never met anyone. Like another thing. So, for example, you can take this and apply it to anything, right? So, for example, it says, in the beginning, God said... God communicated, therefore we communicate. As a matter of fact, when we lose the capacity to communicate, that in itself is a form of bondage and we atrophy as humanity. For example, right, when he says this, I choose to believe, right, that this was in heaven. When you think about the throne room, right, where all these types of conversation happens, it talks about how there's ongoing worship and curated chaos and all this beauty. And because of that, because we're surrounded, we're born into the context of continuous music. Humans, I have never and you will never meet a single human who does not love music. Everybody. Now, once again, the genre might be what it is, right? Some people rock, some people rap, and uh, if you like country, you just need Jesus. Come on, somebody, right? That's a, the enemy got one genre in there, and uh, we let him get, but, but, but for, for example, but do you guys understand the point that I'm saying? That whoever God is, we are. So the simple premise of my statement moving forward is the simple fact that God is the cause where the effect, and the effect always mirrors the cause. So then God says, let us create man in our image and according to our likeness. When I first read this, coming from a third world perspective, English being the fourth language that I speak, I thought it was just a redundancy, but I understood that this was an ancient culture. Therefore, communication was more in context and nuance than in words. Why is that? In America, we're a relatively new civilization. Therefore, our communication is direct, right? Because we're trying to build. I, I want you to understand me quickest so we can go there. But when you look at more established civilizations, right, um, it, it, from Asian to to African to even in the Middle East, the people have built those civilizations. They've made their footprint on history. Therefore, the language is the next thing to evolve. And so there's a difference between English and American. Right? English thinks Shakespeare, American thinks Beavis and Butthead or something like that, right? It's like, but all of them are language, but it's very different. So when I looked at this at first, I thought it was a redundancy. Until I went into the etymology and when I went into the Hebrew, I noticed that these are two distinct things. And the first one is the word image. And the word image is telem. Everybody say telem. And the word likeness is the word damuth. Everybody say damuth. All right, Enneagram ones, go ahead and, um, and update your resume. You speak uh, fluent uh, Hebrew now. But when I look at that, a direct American translation for the word telem would be the word form. And a direct American um, translation for the word likeness, or rather the word damuth, would be the word function. So God's core thought, God's core argument for creating us in the council of the Godhead was, we, let us make man in our form to execute our function. 
So you are made in the form of God to execute the function of God. And why is this important for you to understand? It's because as we are created and culturally conditioned to be people that exist from function before form. And that's out of whack and out of alignment. What do I mean by that? When you go to a cocktail party or a hangout or whatever, what is the first thing that people ask? What do you do? Do you understand that the short order for our communal valueness is that which we contribute communally and not the essence of our individuality? Do you understand that the only way you get a sense of individuality is if your function has transcended that? You're just another face in the crowd until you become Michael Jordan. So Jordan is Jordan not because of the nascent value that he has, but because of the height of his function. And if you approach the gospel and this mandate with a function-first perspective, then people and the relationships will be means to a twisted end, as opposed to the very end, because the function is first before form. So then a logical question then becomes, what is the function of God? The first thing is community. Do you understand that God has never existed outside the context of community? And therefore, as humanity, introvert or extrovert, it doesn't matter. You will always crave community. And 2020 made my argument for me. I don't care how introverted you are. By the end of it, you were pulling like your hair out. You're like, I got to be around people. Why? Because God has always existed in community. Therefore, we crave to find expression and meaning within the context of community. And when you think about it, right, the way the church was formed, when you go back there, Paul talks about, we're talking about this with uh, Jedi Shane over there. And we, we were talking about that. It's like, when you think of it, Paul's like, hey, someone bring a word. Someone bring this. Or someone bring a, a song. And someone bring this. And they would come together communally and they would break bread. And that's how they had church. This to where one person is speaking. You guys, are, this is an expression of our capitalism and empire. Kingdom is cyclical. And not utilitarian. It's a completely different dynamic. So God has always existed in community. Therefore, we thrive for we cannot exist outside of community. And where I really want to get us going is the simple fact that God is love. Read the book of John. He doesn't have love. He is love. At the rate of... Um, of, of, of being disrespectful, I would even say that if there was a way that we could deconstruct God to the core essence of who he is, I believe love would be what we find there. God is love. So what is the form of God? The form of God is love. That's who we're called to be. Right? I love when uh, St. Gregory of Nazianzus, one of the church fathers, um, he has, I think, the most compelling case for, 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 for Trinitarian, or rather just his analogy, his framework for the Trinity makes the most sense. So when they asked him, right, how do you define the relational dynamic between the Trinity, what St. Gregory said was that it's like they are engaged in an eternal dance. 
And that's what he called the perichoresis. He says the relational dynamic of God. If you were to, to, to project the very image of God, the concept of God onto a screen, you would find that relational dynamic, it's almost like a dance. And when you look at it from that perspective and that lens, when you see through the gospel, you see this. Jesus is constantly pointing to his father. And then the sense the spirit to reveal Jesus. And it's this dance of honor and love and deference and everything. So when he says that that is the dynamic for what it essentially looks like. Do you understand that the form of God is that you're a being of love made to love? And anything that does not originate from love or point you towards love is as inconsistent with your very core being as anything else could ever be. Do you understand that love is the most compelling motivation but also the most glorious end to anything and everything. Do you understand that you can never outserve, outgive, or outlove a lover? Do you understand that you can't outbuild a lover? Do you understand that altruism or the feelings of goodwill towards all mankind is a poor substitute for the very love of God finding perfect expression through a yielded vessel? Do you understand that the greatest and most potent form of evangelism to a world is not how eloquent we get with our, with, with our words or how defined and distinct our perspective is? Do you understand that what the world is dying to see is people truly in love with something greater than their entire existence? Do you understand that our shepherds, the one thing that separates a shepherd from the hireling is their love for their sheep? Jesus said the identifying trait that you are Christians, that you are little me, is going to be not your buildings, not your outreach, not your theology. It's your love. It means when they see you loving people that don't deserve it and loving each other, they'll be like, you know what? Those guys belong to that. So my wife and I, because we're both Enneagram 7s, whenever we get bored at airports, which we do a lot because we randomly travel to a lot of places, we have this game called Match the Kids to the Parents. It's the most entertaining way to spend a, a layover at an airport for the rest of your life, but I digress. But listen, you know that you can literally look at a little kid and you can see the ethos of the parents superimposed on that kid. Because first of all, right, God makes us in his image and he tells us to go and create the world in his image. Therefore, we will always constantly create things around us in our image. Your call to evangelism, your call to expression, your call... To value and contribution is a call to love God so deeply that he permeates everything about who you are. Do you understand that love is not a feeling? That's a gross debasement of what it is. Do you understand that love isn't even an emotion? How many people have ever been in love here? All right, let me ask that again. How many people have ever been in love? I'm not going to ask the object of that love. Right. If your hand is not up, you're a sociopath. I have, an, I have an altar call for you towards the end of this. But how many people here would agree with the simple fact that love isn't a feeling, it's an existence? You don't love, you don't feel love. 
When you fall, that's why they call it falling in love. It means you lose every agency and control over who you become. When someone is in love, the love for that object, it permeates your thought process. It rewires your value systems, your decision-making skills. I have seen people who are the sharpest people in the world fall in love, and they make the most stupid decisions. You know why? I've seen the most dignified people fall in love, and then they're dancing in the rain. Why? Because it's an existence. You step into it, and it redefines who you are. Why is that? It's because we are made in the image of love to love. The form of God. Do you understand how much God loves you? See, the enemy's greatest trick will be to convince you that you are unworthy of God's love as if you can escape it. Listen to me. My wife and I, we're expecting our first son in February, and we're so excited. But, but, but do you understand that that child will never exist a single day of their blessed existence outside the dynamic of my relational love dynamic with my wife. It was the covenant of love that brought us together and the fruit and the product of this love is this being and whatever he does, he will never be able to escape the simple fact that he was brought into a covenant and a dynamic of love. He can choose to deny it or he can choose to let someone else lie to them and say that we don't love him. Or we ourselves can choose to not act in loving ways towards him. But the objective reality is that it was love that brought us together. And he is brought through an act of love into a context of love. And the fullest expression of a family dynamic is when he comes into this covenant of love and he reciprocates and completes that perichoresis, that dance of love. And I'm telling you, the world is waiting for us to create out of our context, to write songs out of our context, to worship out of our context, to evangelize. And I don't, see that, I don't say that as utilitarian. What I'm saying is to have conversations of love about the one who loved us and the one that we love back. And because there is something deep on the inside of them that itches for love, they'll be like, I want that, whatever that is. See, love will always express itself. And our, we as human beings are wired to gravitate towards love. And that's why this selfie culture is such a thing. Because what it is, is it's the world being drawn to a love turned inwards called narcissism. We see someone in love, the object of their love just happens to be themselves. So we're drawn to it inextricably. We can't stop watching this. Why? Because whenever there's a love dynamic, we're cradled by it. We're brought into the, our cradling context as humanity is love. That is the form. Now, what is the fight? The simple fight will be to take this visceral reality of what love is and make it an objective truth. The fight is that the enemy is going to take the darkness all around you and try to shape that as your perspective to the simple fact that you're not loved. See, whenever you approach this Bible from a perspective other than one anchored on love, you will always misread it. At best, you will see an angry God, a vengeful God, an insecure God, a militant God. That's all you'll see. 
See, that's why when we look at it in the Old Testament, right, it says, uh, hear, O Israel, the Shema, every, every Jewish uh, kid was brought into this. And it says, hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It means your pursuit, all your faculties, everything about your existence is the simple fact that you're supposed to exist to love God. But look at this, and then it goes on and on and on. And then right here it says, Then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. So they call us in the Old Testament, they call us to love, but the motivation behind that is fear. Because love and mercy hasn't found a human expression that we can, find, we can build context around. And the reason Jesus was so long awaited is the simple fact that he was come and literally be the living embodiment of what the love of God encountering humanity looks like. And when that happens, it shifts. Listen to this. Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 10. Listen to this language. I'm about to close. I'm about to land us here. It says, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I want you guys to listen to the, the not from an angry perspective, not from a skeptical perspective, not from an agnostic perspective, but I want you to imagine that this is someone, I, I want you to imagine that either you're living, you're reading a love letter to you, or if something, the enemy has messed with your concept of love and you don't have the right dynamic, I want you to think of you eavesdropping on people. You guys know that couple that's so in love, they make you sick. You don't like going to places with them because they actually listen to each other. And the person says something really stupid. He's like, oh my gosh, you're so stupid. He's like, you're stupid. No, you're stupid. And you're over here like, I'm going to puke my salad right now. So I want you guys to think about, if you cannot imagine yourself being the object of this affection, I want you to think you're at the table with those people. And then for the first time, I want you to pick out the ethos and the lean and the intentionality of God. How many of you guys have ever read a text and you read it one way and you're like, oh man, they must be pissed. Then when they say it, you're like, oh, I read the exact same text, but I misinterpreted their expression because we put right? Power and potency to words. So I want you to listen to this. Every dynamic when it talks about the coming of Christ, this much waited for Messiah, this is the language that Paul uses. This is the language. Do you understand that God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He comes to disenfranchise them of this notion that I am an angry God and I just have a bunch of rebellious kids who are jerks and I'm going to shock them into obedience so that I don't look like a bad dad to the devil. No. God loves Jesus. He's never existed outside of that dynamic. And in union with Christ, we become recipients of that love. Look, listen to this. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Blessed. That's a power word. In the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's a love word. For he chose us. Choice, intentionality. That's what gives love potency. Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 2. Listen to this. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Not in convenience, not in fear, 
in love, the context for him wanting to adopt us was in love. He predestined destined us for adoption to sonship in Jesus Christ according with his pleasure and his will. He did it in love because it pleased him. Do you understand how much love was towards you and when you said yes to him, how much love surrounds you? Listen to this. To the praise and the glory of his, which he has freely, that's love language, given us in the one he loves. Ooh, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Love gives, love lavishes. That's the expression of what it looks like. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect at the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity. Right, here's another one. Colossians 1, verse 12 to 14. If you guys don't mind, can we have someone like on the keys or someone just like doing something really cool behind me, low key. And then the rest of the team has come up. But Colossians 1, verse 12 to 14, it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, ooh, listen to this, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Took you out of darkness. Took you out of anger and bitterness. And he brought you into his love dynamic with his Son to make you a full recipient. Do you understand that this isn't subjective truth? Sorry, this isn't subjective fact. This is objective truth. The facts can, can, facts are always subject to change when they encounter the truth. It's a fact that cancer kills, but the truth is that God heals. And when facts meet the truth, the facts align with the truth. It's a fact that maybe you're a child out of wedlock. It's a fact that maybe you are the result of rape. It's a fact that maybe your father didn't want you. It's a fact that maybe your boyfriend abuses you. It's a fact that you came into a marriage dynamic and he who or she who was supposed to protect you and cover you is the very person that used their voice to hurt you. All those are facts, but the truth of the matter is when God imagined you and your existence and your expression, he was like, I am going to make them, and if they struggle, I'm going to bring them, keep bringing them back into this dynamic of love because the only safe place, the kingdom, the very kingdom, the ethos, the culture, the convictions, the value systems of the kingdom are love. And when you get this revelation, listen to me, when you get this revelation, it's going to change how you worship. It's going to change how you serve. It's going to change how you show up. It's going to change how you write your music. Do you understand that the reason that I am at Upper Room right now, the reason that I love our community isn't because we write cool music or we're better than everyone else. It's because the culture and the value systems of the house and all the influence and all the expenses go to one thing, to putting you into a context where you can encounter Honor the father of your love and because of that that resonates deeply with the generation why because you were created by love into love for love to exist and draw people into this dynamic of love oh I'm telling you guys I'm telling you guys if we miss this listen to me if we miss this then what's the point what is the point of worship? What is the point of coming to church? I could be sleeping in. I could be watching the, the, the World Cup. No shade if you are. I could, be, I could be out there sinning. I could be out there doing all these things. Listen, when I was a sinner, when I moved away from the Lord, it wasn't a miserable existence. I enjoyed doing those things, but I knew it was a lesser existence. 
And if there's no greater reality, then I might as well go back there because that's essentially what Paul says. Of all species, we are the most pitiable. So I want you to walk out of this place right now with a radical encounter with God's love. I pray that because love is something, it's a, it's a renewable but endlessly renewable resource. I pray that you would have an encounter with his love. That his love would lift you out of this myopic perspective and this tepid existence to where you have been reduced to being a servant of the God who loves you. Do you understand how offensive servitude is to a heart that's in love? Can you imagine you're crazy in love with somebody and all they want to do is serve you? No, love me. And from that, let's do things together. And that is the function. Therefore, if many man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away, beheld. All things have become new and all things are of Christ. Was reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Take that God's sheriff. There's people out here who go on social media and around the world acting like they're God's sheriff. Like they're like the, 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 the holiness police and everything. And that never helps anybody. In my deepest darkness, in the depth of my addiction to pornography. That's why I'm so passionate about this. It wasn't a sermon. It wasn't a post, it wasn't an encounter, it wasn't an intervention, it was love. Love that came deep into my addiction and my bondage and whispered my worth to me and said, this is beneath you. This is what happened with the prodigal. If you guys don't mind, can you just stand up? This is what happened to the prodigal. It says he was stuck in his mess, the muck and the mire. An entire inheritance squandered in partying with pigs and prostitutes. Completely repulsive as a son who has brought so much shame to his father. And he knew that his only hope is if he went as a servant. Just so he could find sustenance because he thought he was beyond love. It says when he came to himself. Is my prayer today as my wife and I were fasting and praying and I was like Lord what do you want me to say to cross an anchor I feel like you guys are people that understand love you have a pastor who loves you you have a team of people that that, that, that serve you guys you have a worship team that loves God and it's apparent and now my simple challenge is the Christ who was long awaited the Messiah who came came for one thing and one thing only and that was to point you to the love of the Father have you ever been around kids who are loved? They show up different. They achieve different. But beyond that, they pull other kids into the gravity of their love. Detroit doesn't need another church. It doesn't need another crusade. It doesn't need another revival. It just needs the people in this room to so fall in love with Jesus that every coffee shop becomes a sacred space. Every altercation becomes an altar. That's what 2020 was looking for and we were nowhere to be seen. We had fear because perfect fear cast out love. But the adverse, that's a fact, but the truth is perfect love casts out fear. 
So if you're in this place with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't do this to be creepy or because I'm from Dallas. But I do this because I want you to create a space between you and the Father that loves you. And what was true of the prodigal is true of you right now. I know there's people here that might not know the Lord and you've never encountered this love. Listen, a pop philosopher that a lot of people follow called Snoop Dogg said, it's not fun if my homies ain't got none. You know what I'm saying? So we can't go into the next conversation until you come to a saving knowledge of who this Lord is. This love has been stalking you. It's been dogging you. It will not let go of you. If you don't know this, Lord, it's very simple. What are the words? Just tell me the words. I'll say them. No. That's formulaic. The words are the words of a son to a father, a broken heart to wholeness. Just speak to him and say, Dad, I'm tired. I'm tired of the pornographic addiction. I'm tired of the drugs. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of, of the cultural chains. I'm tired of perfection. I just, I just, I just, I just miss being loved. And if that's you, just speak to your father right now. And the second group of people, one of the most uh, sobering indictments in the book of Revelation was when he says, you've done all these really dope things, but you've forgotten your first love. And every single one of us, if you had a true encounter with love, you know what I'm talking about. When Jesus was everything you thought about. When you'd hear his name and you'd weep. When worship was meaningful. When you couldn't wait to tell people about him. When you were grieved when people were living lesser than their potential of love. And so I just want you to close your eyes right now. And just for the next one minute, if Shane will let me have it, I just want you to speak to your father. And say, Father, take this heart of stone and give me this heart of flesh. Just fill me with love. Renew me. Restore me to my first love. Just ask him. The book of James says you have not because you ask not. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Spirit of love. The Bible, your word says that. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So I just pray for torrents and floods of love. Holy Spirit, that you'd permeate every heart. That you'd pull down every wall, Father. That you'd cut away every callous and encounter your people in love once again. with every head bowed and every eye closed if you're one of those people you just want someone to pray with you nothing weird nothing whatever just put your hand up there just put your hand up in this room and if we have a pastoral staff of people in here can we just gather around them and just just pray that the love of God would encounter them right now guys I just sense this in my spirit as well I sense that there are some people who are like I hear you but I have so much anger because the right and the capacity and the innocence and the purity of love was taken from me unjustly taken they did this to me I didn't ask for a hard heart I didn't send my way to a hard heart it was taken from me unjustly and I just feel the heartbreak of the Lord and His Spirit right now over you. He's a God who weeps with us. Knowing He was going to raise Lazarus, He sat down and He wept with them. And I just feel the, the pain of the Lord watching His creation, watching that thing be ripped away from you. 
And I just want you to tell you that the Lord wants to restore that. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. He wants to restore your first love. He says, just give me that anger. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to think about it. Just say, just, Lord, the trembling voice with uncertainty. Just say, Lord, take it. I don't want to carry this burden. Just give it to him right now. The Holy Spirit is here. Every hurt in this place. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. So the worship team is going to lead us in a song right now. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay in that space a little longer. He's doing a deep work in you. He's restoring your first love. He's calling you to something greater than ministry or Christianity. He's calling you back into the womb, your cradling context, the love of God. Just speak to him. I don't have to lay hands on you. The Holy Spirit is right where you are. He always has been. So come, Holy Spirit. Father, I just thank you for every heart in this place. I thank you for this incredible opportunity to speak to them. I pray that out of this, you would raise up an army of fiery lovers that will go out and change the world, Father. Not because they seek to, but because they were sought after by you. Their salvation we have long awaited this moment. Do it, Father. Do it, Holy Spirit. New hearts, hearts of flesh. That trauma has no place in, the, in your life, and I rebuke it. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I say every lying voice that's ever spoken a pseudo-identity to you, I shut it up with the authority of heaven. And I pray that right now the narrative of the love of God would begin to cut through every lie, permeate every thought, pull down every stronghold, just come against anything contrary to the truth of the sacrificial love of God over you. It's permeated your dreams. It's even become an identity. You are none of those things. So, Father, I pray for new names, new hearts, new identities, new narratives, oh God, new internal monologues, the new, new, new. I release the Spirit of God, the love of God over your people. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Cross and Anchor podcast from Detroit, Michigan. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from and share this with others. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. And let's live our lives on purpose.